0: Is truth truth is reality it can be confirmed by evidence it is verifiable and we seek to find it welcome to you For Not radio Ufonaut Radio is a show that takes you on a truth journey outside the Matrix to examine the worlds of ufology, the paranormal, and new science. Open your mind as we search for the truth that most are afraid to discuss.
1: This is Ufonaut Radio with Jesse Randolph and Christopher J. Brown. Only on PSN Radio.
2: Welcome everyone, Euphanaut Radio, Monday night on a power-packed evening. How about that future theater, Chase Klotzky? You gotta love her. Euphanaut Radio, we're here, we're back. Another week of exciting stuff, and we will not let you down tonight. I'm going to talk about last week for a little while, but tonight's guest, I think you're really, really going to be able to dive in and join us with, because we're going to talk tonight about the elephant in the room for this subject known as ufology. What do I speak of? Of course, disclosure. Disclosure, friends, that's what we're going to be talking about all night with the man who invented the term, the truth embargo himself, Stephen Bassett of Paradigm Research Group. But before we even get into all of that, I want to introduce everybody else on the panel here, some of our favorite peeps in the world of ufology. We've got The Honorable Chris J. Brown. Chris, how are you?
0: Good. How are you?
2: I'm doing all right. Um, I'm on my third Tums, and I'm ready to rock and talk to Steve Bassett. I'm going to grill him tonight. And, of course, the angel of ufology himself,
1: Angel Espino. How are you, sir? Ready when you are, sir. I'm here reporting for duty, and I'm so excited about having Stephen Bassett on, one of my favorite people in ufology, so this is going to be awesome.
2: You know, uh, first of all, I I totally want to hear why he's one of your favorite people. I have a history with Steve. Yes. I don't want to – you know, this is a a really – I want to say serious because we have a lot of fun on the show. But this is for the diehards, you for Okay, This isn't for the novice. So if you want to go read a Bud Hopkins book or a Whitley Strieber book, go check it out at your public library. It's probably under the science fiction section, and you can go read that. But for the diehards, the people who are interested in science and politics, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight, because that's where Stephen's expertise lies, okay? We're talking about probably the only quasi-recognized, and I don't know hes not going to like the word quasi, but uh, I'll, I'll even take it out. The, the only world's recognized UFO lobbyist, so to speak, and he can explain how that works, but... We actually have a representative in the Beltway, kids, somebody that's trying to
1: move and shake, and he's been doing it for quite a while. Don't you agree, fellas? I completely I agree. That, yeah, that's why he's my one of my favorite people right there. You, you, know, you nailed mm-hmm. it. Well, I think you know, one of the things you got to talk about when you mention
2: disclosure, and this is where Steve's going to take a lot of heat tonight maybe, but one thing about him is he takes it really well. He always has terrific answers. Yeah. He's quite a prolific speaker. So if you want a guy to represent the subject, I always say if you had like, let's say, Stanton, mm, I'd pick Bassett. Like if I was collecting my favorite baseball cards of ufology (laughs) people, uh, I'd definitely have to take Bassett. But if you had to stick, let's say, three or four people in front of the president of the United States or someone that had some sort of influence, we would hope. On this subject, who would you pick? And Bassett would be one of them, I, I would say. What about? Guaranteed. Yep. Yeah. Well, Chris, you have an opinion on that?
0: I do agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, mean, I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer, Jesse. If I'm looking at the top four or five people that have been more influential within ufology over the last 30 years, he's right at the top of the list. I mean, he really, truly is. Uh, you could throw even Art Bell out there. You could throw Bill Burns out there. You could throw a lot of folks that are, have been super influential in ufology. But Bassett, I mean, disclosure, you know he, he's poking the right buttons to try to get to the, the meat of the matter. And he's doing it in a political matter, which I always, you know, to me, I'm always in awe of the man because of his tenacity and the continuing uh, efforts that he puts and he's out
2: there. A, I agree. He's a straightforward kind of guy. He's not. Uh, he doesn't get very floaty. Okay, he doesn't dabble. He might in his personal life, but he doesn't really dabble with the new science portion uh, elements to this game. Okay, he stays on the straight and narrow uh, because probably that's the best way to make some sort of headway with this. Now, I mean, here's the question tonight, if you're listening and you want to try and participate, which I hope you do, because that's the whole point to a certain degree now. Some of our listeners around the globe, which has been really nice this week because they've reached out, and I just want to say hi to some of them, especially um, some friends in London that have reached out and also a friend in New Zealand and all the way out there in the, the other side of the world, Rhode Island. I want to give a shout-out to tonight for some of the older mm-hmm. listeners. This is for you. This is where the question is, do you believe – Do you believe in the theory, and we're going to talk to Steve about this, do you believe in the theory that full disclosure by world governments of the real alien ET situation, both past and present, will eventually take place? Or will it be some kind of accident or incident that triggers somewhat of a, let's say, Jenga-like effect? And that's a really interesting question, don't you
1: think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think, that, you know, and it's funny because I've kind of been saying something similar to that that it's either going to be some kind of an accident where they cannot cover it up, where too many witnesses are, you know, there to see, to view the accident happen, or it'll be something staged as an accident by the powers that be to kind of start the movement towards disclosing stuff without getting themselves in the mess or getting themselves in any trouble legally for keeping this thing hush-hush for 100 years or whatever you know amount of time it's been to that point.
2: Yeah, see, that's it's this weird double-edged sword, and we've heard the stories. We've heard the rumors. We've heard about deathbed confessionals and people and security oaths for years and years. I mean, we're nauseated from it. Um, We just want to know the truth, and one thing that I give Steve credit for um, is he coined this term, the truth embargo, as far as I know, uh, especially within this subject that we love so dearly, Um, and it really makes a lot of sense. That's sort of his mission, and it has been for a long time. Now, does he come with some criticism? Absolutely, and he – he, like I say, he takes it well. And yeah, really but who does
1: not in this field, though, Jesse? Everybody in, yeah, in ufology really. comes with criticism. I mean, uh, you could go up and down the aisle. I mean, you're talking about even a person like uh, Stanton Friedman, who's an actual scientist, like we were mentioning earlier on our Future Theater, and he's been criticized you know, for his involvement in ufology. So anybody who's involved in this field is going to get criticized. But Steve Bassett, by all means, he takes it and he you know, runs with it and he does not let it phase him at all.
2: No, he's a driven guy, and yeah, he's on totally. point. He's on a mission, and I'm going to have him explain the mission so that people can fully understand. I'm really
0: curious what got him started in the mission,
2: and that should be one of our openers, I believe, because uh, <laughs> yeah. Although I don't was. want to take too much time on catch up, you know, for the for the newbies or the guys who who may not have known that, it's always kind of no- nice to know what uh, drives you, and uh, uh, just kind of. A listener asked a couple of shows ago, I think, you know, why I got involved in this subject. And I really didn't feel like discussing it on the air. But really, what is it that drives a guy like Steve Bassett to do this full time, okay, to go around the country, around the world, excuse me, and speak about this subject with everything that comes along with it? Okay, so again, going back to putting these people in front of the president – I have to say, gentlemen, I would put probably uh, and playing no favorites here because I'm not even tight with these guys. Uh, I respect them and I've I've met them and such, but there are folks in ufology that I'm just you know kind of I just love. They're my favorite characters, and these three are just based on how they would be able to speak about the subject with a clarity, a knowledge base. And just utter certainty, you know. And I would choose Steve Bassett, okay. I'd choose Stan Friedman. And I would choose Richard Dolan. I thought you
1: were going to go with Giordano on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. He'd be my number three. That's my number three.
2: Well, only because if I I took Rich Rich Hmm. G, it would be kind of a wild card. You know, it's not that he wouldn't have the knowledge base. But you never know what's going to happen. He might break out into
1: you know, a Judas Priest or something. I don't know. Hey, we need that in ufology. We need a wild card.
2: No doubt. That's <laughs> what he represents. So we need him bad. No doubt. But mm-hmm. you know, S- Steve has taken heat in the past, uh, and I want to talk to him on how he uh, internalizes that or how he uh, digests that, right? How he processes it and either learns from it Uh, I was a little critical uh, back a number of years ago about some fax campaigns that were going on. And I think I did some YouTube stuff and things of that nature, kind of getting all irate about it, how it's not going to move the needle, such. And part of me still feels that way. So, you know, those are good questions. How he processes that, what motivates him to do that? What is the grand plan? Mm-hmm. And after you meet a guy like Steve or you interview him a few times, I think I've, uh, between you and I, Angel, we probably interviewed him a half a dozen times at least.
1: Oh, more than that. I mean, he's been on Skywatchers so many times I've lost count, to be honest. Yeah, he hasn't he, been on in, in a while because he's been really busy. So I'm really happy he's on UFO for the first time this year. So. Well, we're going to have
2: to ask him what he's been up to, of course. Mm-hmm. But You're what welcome. a strange. What's that, Chris?
0: <laughs> I just no, said, said. You're welcome. Thank <laughs> you, Chris. <laughs>
2: uh, oh, oh, yeah. Chris, Chris uh, reached out to Steve. And uh, actually, Chris reaches out to all our guests because that's one of his uh, duties here on the show. Thank goodness, or else. We and he's would... really good
1: at his duties. He really is. He's yeah. good
2: at that duty. Yes. And uh, we have some good guys coming up, right, Chris? You want to tell us about some of the the peeps coming up to tantalize this? Amazing audience.
0: We have uh, Charles. Oh, man, I'm sorry, i have a hard time pronouncing uh, his last name.
1: It's it, a tough one.
2: It <laughs>
0: is. And do you do you want to? Can you do it?
1: No, I I would not try. You know you not, you're not butcher names. You see, you heard me on and Sky Watchers. Because this I'm is the guy to- who called Lenny Lene, Okay, you asking me? To yeah, pronounce yeah. this name? No, it's not happening.
0: Uh, it's Butcher Brown here, too. So, <laughs> so, it so it's not happening with me either, right?
1: <laughs> Shout-out to Richard Hoagland on that one. He, he corrected me on air. That was the funniest thing ever, dude. He, he's like, it's Lenny, not Lenny. And I'm like, who oh, hasn't he well, corrected? I'm sorry, Richard. Okay, come on. He he loves doing that. He I knows. love Richard He's Look, he's another one that I'll put in my top five as Mm-mm. important figures in ufology. No, mine. sir.
2: No, sir. No, sir. Mine. Not because he's not a favorite, because I enjoy him uh, just like I enjoy Andy B. I do not enjoy Andy B. Okay, hold on. Chris was telling us who's coming up. I
0: was going to say also after that I'm working with Peter Robbins, hopefully, who seems to be kind of tagging me back and forth. uh, Has no problem writing with one buddy ASAP, but, well. Somebody's making a whole lot of noise over there. Something's
2: rucking around in the background here. Yeah, What's
1: going on with the uh, heads of there, Chris? Can't do bong uh, hits and talk
2: uh, on
0: the show. No, exactly. it, I is everything okay now?
1: It's fine now. Yes, yeah, fine. Stop uh, making I, all that racket you were
0: making. I think what happened was is the microphone got pushed back, and when I was touching, it was hitting. It was hitting my my cheek. No one okay. likes,
2: Nobody okay. likes to get okay. their okay. cheek the touched and pushed back. Care. Just don't do else. it anymore. Yeah. Okay. All. Who's coming up <laughs> on the show?
0: Sorry. I, <laughs> no, anyway, <laughs> hopefully I'm working on. And doing a little tag here, but uh, hopefully we'll get it squared, around, uh, squared away. And that'll be... What the, about
2: uh, Jeremy Corbell? Did we get a hold of him yet?
0: want Jeremy get uh, has not wrote me back, and uh, I don't know if he will. So I will try once again... And see uh, if if he'll get back, but um, I'll I'll reach out to some other people. I I really. Oh,
2: John, did we get uh, John Lear on yet? I
0: haven't reached out to John Lear. I had that's actually one person I didn't. So I, I never see him on, go on any of these shows. So I don't know how much weird. Yeah, he he's
1: been kind of MIA for a while from, I
2: know video. you gotta, yeah. well, you know, you got to throw some names out there and he might, I
0: understand. It. And so I think about that, like, gosh, I don't not even gonna go on anybody's shows. I never even hear. So I don't know if they're going to come on our show, but I'll try to write them anyway. What the heck? So you know?
2: Yeah. Well, we'll talk offline about how to go about getting some of these dudes. Okay. Some of them are hard nuts to crack. No doubt. I yeah. mean, uh, it does have a clandestine uh, undercurrent. The subject, you know, and clearly hard places. names to pronounce. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a hard one for sure.
2: Did you like that Jenga-like effect analogy I used when talking oh, about the? That was beautiful. Yeah. Did you like that? I did. did. I I thought it was poignant. Um. Anyways, uh, we're bringing Steve on when uh 25 of uh,
1: after. Correct? Yeah, when we going to break at 25, correct. Great. Yes, why, don't we,
2: why don't we give out our phone number? And before we do that, I just want folks to know, I wanted to discuss last week just briefly and <laughs> have anybody call in that wanted to give uh, their two cents on our guest,
1: John, correct me, uh, help me. Uh, Selman, John Selman. Is that really his name or is that? Yeah, well, that's his name. Yeah. Paranormal 51's John Selman. John Selman yep. seemed like seemed like a nice guy. And yeah.
2: If you had any thoughts or feelings about mm-hmm. that program, you uh, besides writing, you can also uh, feel mm. free to call in. I'd love to know what you thought of John. And that number. Yeah, please.
0: Is one seven eight six two four five eight one two seven.
2: Fantastic, and we Rock will. On. We will try to pick up the phone. I'll try. All right. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on uh, that I wanted to talk about in ufology? I'm, gra- I'm glad Rich's show is back. Uh, I heard it was a decent show, so I'm going to listen to it uh, this week. Yep.
1: He had uh, no guest on. He uh, he introduced everybody to the matrix of his mind, the Rich Giordano mind. So you might want to check that out on our SoundCloud page. Was it-, oh, it? was yeah. a good show. You know, some of the some of the most fun shows that he does is where he just goes on a tangent and has no guest on it. It's just it's just him. Just him being him. I know. agree. I, I, like I think
2: Rich just being himself, doing his own monologues and such, is uh, where he achieves greatness. Uh, yep. And mm-hmm. he, he warms up, and he takes dives, and he comes back. It's like going through a, a horror movie or something. <laughs> it's really good. Though. Kind of. I didn't, I didn't mean it like a horror You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I, you know what? I saw a great horror movie the other night, um, and this is real quick, off-topic, but A lot of people who like ufology like horror, I would think. Um, I don't know about you two guys. You like horror. Love Mm. horror movies. Yep. Okay. So that's my favorite genre of film, and I watch all of them. In fact, my brother, way back in the day, was a special effects guy. So I grew up with buckets of blood lying around the house and limbs and scary shit that I hated. And then ironically, when later in life, I found myself – Um, really drawn towards these films. And the gruesomer, the better, because I was exposed to, uh, do you guys remember Fangoria? Of course, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, that was the rag line on my Mm -hmm. bathroom floor. So I really got into the subject after having it sort of jammed
1: on me as a kid. What's your favorite horror movie of all times?
2: Well, I'm, I'm getting there. I just want to tell this quick story, because I started a little horror movie club here at my house. And my fiance was sweet enough to uh, go along with it, but she actually enjoys it as well, so it's it's super cool uh, when you find someone that shares that with you, uh, especially uh, when it's it can be some strange stuff sometimes now however she is she doesn't take it as far as I like to go at times, but she's open to watching she's got a great open mind. so we make dinner. We we usually have over uh, over the same couple friends of ours, dear friends of ours, and what happens is uh, last night I made a I'm sorry this was Saturday night I made a bolognese an Italian bolognese sauce and I must have spent mm-hmm. almost all day on this thing you know wine and love and stirring and tasting it's a lot of fun that's what that's what I enjoy once in a while on a Saturday afternoon put on some tunes these folks come over (coughs) excuse me and what we do is while we're eating supper i give them the choice of the red pill or the blue pill okay so the red pill is the film that i've picked out that's gonna alter their minds it's going to scare the shit out of them right really mess with them whether it be horror or shock because i've kind of I don't think I invented it, but I've sort of put it in this new category, shock movies. They're not necessarily horror movies. They're shock movies. They shock the hell out of you, right? Mm. So The Blue Pill, of course, is the opposite, which is a good film that I've picked out. Still horror, mind you, because it's horror movie night. But the deal is is that this movie is going to be more mainstream. It's probably not going to... You know, you can heckle and have fun and enjoy yourself, right? So which pill do these people always pick? The blue pill. Blue pill? Yeah, we'll go with the blue pill on this one. And
0: uh I'd say the blue pill. Okay, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, you guys would both be wrong. Ooh. They have picked the red pill every time so far. Oh, no kidding. Hmm. And this is our third night. I'm starting to run out. I will tell you the film last week, which was the red choice, was a film called Martyrs. Okay, I
1: haven't heard of that one. What's that about?
0: No.
2: It's a horrific film. It truly is. It's one of these films where... Now, there's two versions, if you're listening and you want to tempt yourself. okay, There's a, a an original Martyrs film, and then there's a remake that happened about a year ago. And I haven't even seen the remake, but I heard it's just... Gore for the sake of gore, it's not really uh, an, the amazing story that Martyrs was, but I'm not going to blow it for you. All I can say is that it's one of those films that you will not get out of your head for quite some time. Very cool. I'm that ready. Was, Yep. That's Martyrs. And then last mm-hmm. weekend, we went retro. So this past weekend, they chose red pill once again. Uh, by the way, which pill would you guys both choose? Red.
3: Blue. Wow.
2: Okay. I what do you do? if I, I don't know. We haven't run into that yet where we have two different pills being chosen. Anywho, uh, last week was the director's cut of Cannibal Holocaust.
1: Ooh, I can't sit through that. 1980.
2: This was a film, mm-hmm. if you're listening. That's a the, tough one for me. Oh. You know the film I speak of?
1: Yes, oh, that's a tough movie for me to sit through. I saw that once a long time ago, and I vowed to never see that again, as I didn't want to lose my sanity.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you want to tempt your psyche, yeah, this is a film, you turn off the lights, uh, take your best libation, your most favorite, or your hit of whatever, and zone out on this thing, and you will not believe that so- something like this was created on film. Uh in fact, the director was arrested after the making of this film. On and
1: rightfully so, yep. On rightfully so. Charges. Well,
2: that's to interpretation or uh, opinion. But uh, as you would say a lot, it's neither here nor there.
1: Yeah, I do say that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, just tells you, it just tells you I've been hey, You know me. Uh,
2: no, you did. You're. No. Hey, you're one of my favorite hosts. Come on.
1: Well, yeah, but that's neither here nor there.
2: Listen. Huh? Enough about the horror movies. I had to. I don't want to even say it, but I digress because it's so. Funny. You know what? I,
1: I can I recommend the movie for you to watch. And I just saw it for the second time last night, and I love this movie. It's an animated movie. Okay. It's based on my favorite graphic novel that has to do with Batman, uh, the Killing Joke, which is. It we had a limited release in theaters. Now it's uh, streaming on on the internet. Um, if you haven't seen it, if you've never read the graphic novel The Killing Joke. Watch the movie. It is so well done. so faithful to the uh, to the graphic novel, and uh, it's, you get, when you see it, you can see all the influences that that book had on every single incarnation of the Batman movies that's ever been put out. Really, the Killing Joke. Check that out. Hmm. It's not. I don't. I, I mean, I'll check it out for you, but it's really not my bag. I know, and you're still gonna love it. I guarantee it. Really, that good. It's that
2: good. All right. Hey, look. We got to take our first break, right? Coming up here. So what yep. we're gonna do is we're gonna break, and then when we come back, kids, everything you've always wanted to know about disclosure two thousand sixteen, but were afraid to ask, with our guest, Steven Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group, the guru of the disclosure movement, the founder of the term truth embargo within the E.T. subject. Where do you stand, people? Where do you stand? We'll be right back. This is Deeper not Radio with Jesse Randolph. Chris J. Brown and the angel of ufology.
4: Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction.
2: radio monday night here back on a power evening monday night who would have thought well guess what monday sucks you got to go back to work and everything else so that's why we power packed it it's a ufology extravaganza we started off tonight in future theater who's on before future theater angel
1: absolutely nobody
2: oh good not for now bad about not plugging them <laughs> uh <laughs> we had bill and nancy burns obviously uh the king and queen of ufology, the royalty. And then backing up the caboose here is Euphonaut Radio with the kids. Um, So I think it's been a great chemistry, and I'm really excited about doing this for the rest of the year and for possibly years to come. But tonight, everything you've always wanted to know about disclosure but were afraid to ask with the guru of the disclosure movement. Now, some will say it's a guy like Dr. Stephen Greer. I tend to Uh differ slightly. Nope. Okay, it just depends which side of the coin you like to land on, I guess. We can get into that. But I want to welcome first Mr. I almost called him Dr. Stephen Bassett. It's Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group. Welcome, Stephen.
4: Yes, PhD list still after all these years.
2: Wow. Well, it's never too late. I'm going
4: to create my own uh, honorary doctorate, and I'm going to give it to you, sir, because you deserve it. Yeah, that's what I'm holding out for. A couple of those. I yeah. think if you get two or three, you're allowed to actually say you're a doctor. I don't know what the rules are. I'll have to check. Well,
1: out. I think hey, if Bill, Bill Cosby can, can get one, for sure you can get one. Well,
2: yeah, we don't <laughs> want we don't want to give him Bill Cosby's, but we can no, get. No. I think if you give him one, uh, Stephen, the ones he gives out are, are made out of hemp. If that's cool. Oh, okay, it's like yeah, a dual fine. purpose. Sure. <laughs> uh, welcome to it's the show. Fun. It's like we were talking during the break. It's been a while, so uh, we were talking mm-hmm. about how boring my life has been, but how exciting yours has been. So take a breath and. Welcome to the show, and why don't you tell us where you're calling in from tonight?
4: Uh, Tonight, I am up in uh, the the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I will be leaving for Washington tomorrow, um, and I'll be uh, bunkering in there for the rest of the year, if not through the inauguration. um, With the intention of finishing what we started back on November of 2014, which is to Produced disclosure uh, before the election.
2: Now let's back so, up a half a half a step. Because mm-hmm. When you started PRG, this is the Paradigm Research Group, and that was back in was it ninety seven, ninety eight. When did Nin- you start?
4: Ninety six, July okay. ninety six. I was close. Yeah.
2: What was the, what was the main focus, Stephen?
4: The the, the attention to, uh, behind PRG was to. Uh, Seek the resolution of the extraterrestrial question issue through political means. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's simple. Um, a a I'm not an I'm not a personal
0: thing. I mean, have you ever had a, an encounter yourself of any type of a craft that's kind of just been you, driven you to go out and to just to do this?
4: No. Started? Okay. No. Still haven't had one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a this was a this is that's a decision cool. an intellectual kind of decision. I'm kind of a left brain guy. That's cool. So. I mean I, I – I, it was my assessment in '96 that the problem with the issue wasn't science. It wasn't proving it. It had been proven, um, but there was a political policy to refuse to acknowledge that. It was, It was essentially an embargo, which I eventually came to call the truth embargo. It used to be called the UFO – cover-up, but it's not about UFOs and it's not a cover-up, so it's a truth embargo. Okay. So, the you know, it's like, it's like the government said you couldn't go to Cuba. It didn't matter what was going on down in Cuba, good baseball players, nice beaches, didn't matter. You couldn't go. So that was a policy, a government policy, a political policy that prevented Americans. Other people could go, but we couldn't. That embargo ended earlier this year. They did the same thing with the ET issue. They basically said, look, you... We're not going to allow you to resolve this uh, to the extent that we can prevent it, and we're going to intervene. We're going to deny the existence. We're going to classify everything. We're going to do other stuff, and I realize that we're never going to get this out. We're never going to resolve this for the public unless we change that policy. I didn't think it would take 20 years, uh, but the governments are not easy to deal with. Uh, No,
2: no No, they're not. Uh, and we're going to get into what you just alluded to—that we're close. Because I know that your blood pressure must be rising during this campaign year, like a, <laughs> like like no one would believe. And the guys interviewing right now have some sort of idea because they've known you and they've sort of followed you for years now. I mean, I really have listened to you via radio and in person for probably close to 20 years now. Uh, and there was a question in the foreground of this show to the audience, and I think it would be really important for you to answer it, and it's the following. Do you believe in the theory that full disclosure by world governments of the real alien E.T. situation, both past and present, will eventually take place, or will it be some kind of accident or incident that triggers a Jenga-like effect?
4: mm there's always the possibility of a, a one-off type event that that just sets the whole thing in motion. Uh, it, 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 it the most likely one is is an ET action. Uh, either in other words, instead of crashing at Roswell, they, they have a, you know, an ET craft crashes in Central Park. That would be a toughie. But more likely, the ETS would take the, take the matter in their own hands and go ahead and force the matter, force the issue out. I mean, that could happen at any time, and there may be the odd thing that could that could trigger it. But uh, the odds against that are, at this point, not good. I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think it's going to be formal. Um, and uh, in fact, the, the, you know, my concern is not that something may trigger it, but rather we're going to get delayed by other developments, historical developments is going to push this even many years down the line. That's my biggest concern. So no, I don't see an accident or an ET action
2: forcing this issue finally. Okay. Okay. Can you back up to the to the part where you said you were most concerned about?
4: Yeah, my my biggest concern is not that something might accidentally trigger disclosure without a formal acknowledgement, meaning a formal process. Uh, but rather some draconian event is going to take place. A uh, major terrorist attack, possibly another war or both, uh, and that will force the advocacy movement off the stage again, and we will not be able to make any progress, and disclosure will be withheld from the American people for years to come. That's kind of what happened in 2001.
2: Correct, I'm, I'm, and yeah. and I agree with that. However, doesn't that always happen? I mean isn't that the, the vicious cycle of our world governments needing this cycle of war for economic growth and and such and, and keeping that machine rolling and keeping them, people in fear. I mean, are we ever going to really be uh, going to do away with that uh, to allow for the room for this sort of thought and expression?
4: Uh, let me turn that around. Um, yeah, we've had 10,000 years of war, and oftentimes if you want to get something done, you've got to get it done between the wars. Uh, and that's still true. Uh, I don't think the wars are being conducted to prevent us specifically from pursuing certain, certain goals, but uh, they certainly interfere. For instance, a um, classic example is mm-hmm. the Indian people led by Gandhi were making pretty good strides towards uh, persuading the British to leave India. The independence movement was moving along and, and then World War II starts in Europe and Gandhi made the decision and it was the correct decision that they had to shut the independence movement down and they could not. They weren't going to protest. They weren't going to be out there. They weren't going to be doing that while the war was underway. and So it delayed it five years um, and so this happens and again, we got the, – the disclosure movement was set back in 2001 with the 9-11 events. Uh, if it wasn't for nine eleven, I think we'd have had disclosure years ago. When
2: you, when you say that, I think some people sometimes react differently. You know, uh, well, people do react differently, and you know always. that. You know where so, I'm going with that. Um, you mm-hmm. you take criticism on that one. I'd rather get this question right out of the way because it's one that people ask me all the time, which is, why does Steve always think disclosure is eminent? Uh, what? Where does he get this idea from, or is it? Um, something that he's just so driven uh, and so adi- addicted to uh, yeah. that he just uh, is, is, is on a different lens with the way he's looking at it.
4: The truth of the matter is that that's a misperception. I understand why uh, some people th- think that, but the, the, the record is, in fact, over the last 20 years, there have been periods when I have flatly stated that we're not We're not making any progress. We're not going anywhere. Uh, It's not going to happen or the odds are very low. However, there have been times when the circumstances were more favorable. It's somewhat like um, trying to – it's somewhat like if you're a surfer. I used to be a surfer a long time ago and you're trying to predict when you can go surfing next. And It really depends upon – whether you got the waves and that depends upon the weather. And so you're sort of trying to calculate and you see a, a certain weather situation developing and you go, hey, guys, we're going out Saturday because that looks like an opportunity time. And you get down to the beach, turns out it's nothing there, but you still project. And that's what I've done. And there have been windows of opportunity. And I have encouraged uh, people to focus on that. Uh, also, as an activist, you can't. You can't really bring people behind a movement by re- repeatedly telling them that, well, the goal is disclosure or the goal is a civil rights act. But you know the chances are slim, slim and none that we're going to get it. Sure, that's not the way activism works. Sure. So you have to be positive. But uh, there have been times when I have I've indicated the window was not open; it was closed, and certainly I was saying that after after uh, two thousand one nine eleven. Um, I was not particularly thrilled when Bush got elected, but the window has opened on a number of occasions uh, for various reasons, and I say, look, we have an opportunity. We can get this done. I never predict in that sense like I predict, oh, disclosure is going to happen in January or February Uh, by and large. This is the strongest I've ever gotten on this in the 20 years. Uh, When I have been saying that, we have a very good likelihood of getting disclosure before the election uh, and and that that is strong, but it is not a guarantee. It is not 100 percent. But I'll tell you this in the 20 years I've been involved in this, the opportunity, the prospect for disclosure, the window is as, as wide, wide open as it's ever been since World War, since the, the Cold War ended. And so I'm just letting people know it, it's very favorable. So get your surfboard and get down to the ocean because there may be some very good waves. Yeah, baby.
2: I love that. You know, that's the thing is that back in the day when I first started Euphanaut, I was all about the new guard. I was all about storming the gates of Area 51. And, hey, man, if you really want to create change, it's going to take physical, something physical. And I didn't know what that was. Obviously, it wasn't going to be violent, but something physical. But Mm. you... My friend actually do it, and when I met you, I sat in a small venue and watched you speak, and uh, you were very passionate, and you kind of reminded me of a real version of a Fox molder. and that was pretty cool. <laughs> and I have to say that you've kind of earned that over the years because you're always in the fucking trenches.
4: You're well, really- the irony, of course, is that David Duchovny just doesn't think the ET thing is legit. He, he's not – In reality, uh, in reality, yeah. Right, right. In the show itself, he is, he's coming from emotion and he's completely wrapped up in the, the truth embargo in a way and, and being manipulated by the government. But he certainly had a passion for getting to the truth, um, but that's not activism. You've got to get really specific to be a successful activist.
2: Well, I agree. Uh, and that's why uh, some of the audience is going, OK, now, Jesse, don't get off topic here. Stick with him." And he just said, we're getting closer than we've ever been before. He just right. said, this is another window, a pretty big one. And so everyone's on the edge of their seats and they want to know, like you just said,
4: the specifics.
2: What are the ingredients to this recipe and why you think this window has opened again?
4: The recipe is a good uh, good way of putting it. It's it it's like the perfect storm. Uh, Andrea Gale, Billy Tyne ended up sa- sailing their little boat right into a perfect storm, and it was essentially the accidental convergence of three storms. It rarely happens, extremely rare, and so it was just bad luck. Now, this was a negative thing. So oftentimes in history, things happen because – it, a number of things come together at the same time and if you're going if you're going to make a you know a, a souffle or a, you know apple pie you got to get the ingredients together they got to come together and they got to come together just right or you got nothing right it's the same thing with history oftentimes you're not going anywhere unless certain things happen it's not enough for one thing not, one thing cannot possibly trigger certain major historical events and in the you know, the 70 years since Roswell just almost never have those circumstances come together to create that perfect storm. Roswell was almost the perfect storm, it almost gave us disclosure. You had a crash that caught the government by surprise, you had civilians seeing the wreckage, you had it was early on you had uh, the uh, Roswell Army Air Force Base. the head guy there goes ahead and and, and and lets a press release go out that gets to the media. The media is on their way to Roswell and the storm you know basically it's all come together and the only reason we didn't get disclosure back then is that the president moved quickly enough, contacted Ramey and and, and Dallas Fort Worth at that air base there, and uh, army air base there, and said, "Look, you have got to get another press release out. You've got to deny this. You've got to change the story immediately." And they did. They moved very quickly. Uh, they held the, 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 the second, press, uh, second press conference was held the same day that the story came out. The next day on the ninth. But had they not moved that fast, enough reporters would have gotten to Roswell, driving around town, interviewing civilian witnesses, literally on site, and that would have been it. We have not had that kind of an opportunity since, um, but we have now. Here's what's come together. It's complicated, okay. but, but I'll try to be as precise, uh, concise as I can. Here are the, here are the, here's the recipe that, that has made it possible to cook this souffle. One, you have a woman running for president for the second time who has a connection to the ET issue in a big way more than any other president uh, in the modern era, Um, way, way beyond Carter. Uh, And this goes back to the Rockefeller Initiative, which took place in 93 to 96 under her husband's administration. It went on for three years. There was a lot that happened there, uh, and that's the second component. Third component is um, the Clintons and their advisors and close associates made a decision, a fateful decision that uh, once the thing just petered out failed because they were not going to get any cooperation from the Pentagon and we don't know the details but the, the president couldn't get anything on that if he wanted to, he couldn't So, and they had a, they had a new election coming up and so they all decided let's just forget this ever happened, let's just never talk about it so they didn't and so for the next 20 years and even to this day all of the people involved on the government side and the Clinton side not not in the private sector because there were 33 principals involved, and most of them were private citizens. They have spoken about it, but the pol- political people in the Clinton team never spoke about it. So that created another f- a component, all right? And then you had the good fortune that Grant Cameron got the documents from the OSTP under the FOIA uh, in 2000 uh, because the – office of science technology policy was not part of the presidential records act uh and so it was uh, open to the foia and somebody kind of screwed up down there and sent him a thousand pages of documents confirming the whole rockefeller initiative so we got those in 2000 that was uh, very 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 significant by the way just a few months later when bush became president one of the very first things he did was to push the ostp office the office of science and tech under the Presidential Records Act, so nobody could pull a stunt like that again, where it still remains. So we got those documents. Um, and then, all right, the advocacy... Movement.
2: Did we lose uh, Stephen yeah. yeah, let's try to get him back if we can.
4: Stephen, are you there? I am there. Oh, okay, okay, there Great. you go. Okay. You lost two me. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whew, that's scary. So uh, the the advocacy movement made a lot of progress uh, for the next 13 years, but obviously we didn't crack it open. Uh, But then in 2013, 2012, PRG finally got a very substantial amount of funding that allowed it to put on the citizen hearing on disclosure in April, May 2013 at the National Press Club. This was a big deal, Um, and um, that mock congressional hearing was filmed – uh, and webcast, and that set the stage for the political initiative, which PRG launched in 2014, November the 5th, where we shipped the record, the full 30-hour DVD record of the citizen hearing on disclosure to the entire Congress.
2: Now, and it, let's back up for two seconds. So
4: I, you're seeing – I'm giving you kind of the, the, the components of the souffle here, and oh, that's a lot of them. There's a couple more, and all of them together is what's created this opportunity.
2: Uh, Go ahead. Yes, I guess well, the, my first question, I think the audience is wondering, is what would be in it for someone like Hillary Clinton to begin with, or the Clintons as a power? Voters, company?
1: voters, more voters. Well, hold on. Because votes. We're uh, talking about it,
2: what would be in it for Hillary for a, to bring about a disclosure movement in general.
4: Well, not a disclosure movement. Um, it, it's let's put it this way. Uh, every politician makes a decision based upon cost-benefit analysis. Right. Uh, if it benefits them, they do it, and if it doesn't, they don't. Uh, and increasingly, if it doesn't benefit them but it benefits the people, they still don't. Which is one of the reasons we've got some serious problems now. Agreed. Uh, Secretary Clinton, by and large, does not want to engage this issue, and they have avoided it for 20 years. I believe she she does want to be the disclosure president, but she hasn't divulged that. Uh, but in terms of uh, engaging the issue, the risk is too high, and they didn't. For 20 years, they've said nothing. They still haven't said anything. Uh, so it's not about what I, – I believe she would benefit. I believe it will be a positive thing if she does what I expect is going to happen.
2: Um, We're going to get to – I want to get your, your – uh... Your expectations or what you think may happen when and if it does occur uh, later in the broadcast. I want to tantalize folks, so we're not up
4: to that yet, but yeah, yeah. I'm still trying so, to pro- – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. But it's not, She doesn't want to do it. She's being forced to do it. A, 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 a negative analogy to this is that I assure you President Bill Clinton did not want to have to go in front of the American people and apologize for having an affair that he completely denied to them previously. Why did he do it? Because he had no choice, and that's what's happening here. What's going down is going down because you've created a situation where the principals involved or don't have a choice whether they want to or not. They will have to do it, which is often what you have to do uh, in political activism. The government gives you what you want even though it would rather not, and that's, that's how it goes, and it's hard. Why some, is their hand it,
2: being forced in your opinion?
4: Well, that's, that's the recipe that I've been uh, uh, putting together for you. Uh, the political initiative was launched on November the 5th right. of 2014, made possible because of the citizen hearing as the platform on which to work from. And then I arrived in, in early, uh, late November, right at the time that the incredibly long campaign, presidential campaign, is sort of getting underway, starting to really get underway. Uh, but it had already been underway really for about another five months, but it's getting more intense. Um, and I had enough money to get my publicist on board for a while. She's been in D.C. for 35 years, and so starting on January of 2015, uh, we're approaching the media to get get, uh, and and I'm approaching the Congress. It's a dual strategy. Um, I'm I'm trying to get meetings on the Hill to talk about possible new congressional hearings which they haven't had since 68 and we're talking to the media about the clinton connection to the et issue based on the rockefeller initiative a dual strategy that feeds on each other All right and we've this got This is what doc- you're
2: working towards correct you're not
4: doing this right now you're not you're not meeting with the clintons of, uh, uh, or not the clintons or- i'm meeting i i i the the goal the strategy was meet with Staffers on the Hill about congressional hearings, okay. and engaged the media to bring the Rockefeller initiative, Clinton et connection, into the presidential campaign that was now starting to get underway. And uh, all of the things, you know, the, the 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 documents, the history, the progress, the fact that Clinton's never said anything, the fact that they're still running for president, the fact that many of the Clinton people had sought. A public office, had held high positions, Podesta, Panetta, and so forth. Al Gore. Um, as a result, there's a news story there, and and the and the press finally decided, yeah, there's a news story here. And so what happened, finally, is that in early January of 2015, for the first time in 20 years, reporters started contacting the Clinton campaign. And her chairman, John Podesta, with questions about the Rockefeller Initiative, the three-year uh, connection involvement uh, of the uh, President Clinton's uh, White House with the ET issue, and guess what? They never, it wouldn't respond. They didn't return their calls. Now, in in media, if you call a political figure about what you think is a real story, a legitimate story, they can call you back and say there's nothing to it. Right. They can call you back and say no comment. They can call you back and say, yeah, there's something here, and here's here are my statement. And then lastly, they can not call you at all. Of the four, the one you don't want to have to do is not call at all because when you don't return reporters' calls on a story, that tells them there's a story. Mm-hmm. But the reason they couldn't respond – and and that's been going on now for the last fifteen months. They have, reporter after reporter is contacting their office, and they're not responding. They're stonewalling them. The reason is is that they calculated, and by they I mean John Podesta, that engaging this story would be risky for her, and they would rather not. They would rather just win the White House, right, without having to deal with this issue and you know a lot of other things. Um, and so they hoped that they could just stonewall the press. And given the truth embargo and so forth, that the press would eventually go away and they could just move on unencumbered. That's not the way it worked out. Uh, Not only were they getting the calls, but the press started writing writing the story up. And so in early January, the first article ever came out in mainstream press mentioning the Rockefeller Initiative, only this time. We're talking about internet articles as well as print and the internet articles. that got links to the documents and links to videos and all kinds of stuff. It's extensive material. Uh, and so the articles started happening. And they realized that there was a pretty good chance they weren't going to make it to the White House without having to deal with the ET issue and the Rockefeller Initiative. And so what they did do, right, is instead of re- returning the reporters' calls – They started making statements on their own without being prompted by and large. In other words, they they went proactive in a way, and their their goal was to make limited statements about the ET issue, never mention the Rockefeller Initiative, never say something that would ignite a press storm, but establish a uh, track record of statements. Uh, The most important thing they were going to do, they needed to do, and they did, was to make it clear to the public through these limited statements that they considered the issue serious. In other words, yank the ridicule out from under it. And aside from President Clinton's appearance on Jimmy Kimmel in April of 2014, the first real move was when Podesta put out the famous tweet on February 13th that was when the campaign really engaged this issue on their terms with a strategy of and they had a dual strategy which is we'll talk about this and and give ourselves some inoculation should the media finally go full you know bore go nuts and force the issue out before the election we will have these statements and we will be well positioned and we will be able to deal with it but we're not going to say so much uh, we're we're going to keep it limited and hope the media doesn't go you know um uh, medieval on us in which right. case we can make it to the white house and then do whatever the hell we want to do what was the and tweet it's a, steve it's a it's a it's a historic tweet I bet. I bet missed. you
2: went bonkers when you saw it so yeah. and
4: it's and it's you know and if people go to paradigmresearchgroup.org my main site the top flash page there there is a, a link on that page said, it's called unprecedented political media coverage and you click on that link and you scroll down and, and very not very far and you will see a chronological uh, uh, compilation of the Clinton ET resp- – uh, Clinton responses, the Clinton team responses on this going all the way back to Bill Clinton's statement in Hong Kong in 2005 and then his appearance on Kimmel 2000. And 14 April 2, and then you see the tweet. And, 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 and for people to understand how important this is, they have to understand the context. Most people didn't understand the context, they just heard about this. But the, once you get to understand the context, you realize how significant it is. Sure. Here's, here's the context. The Clinton administration in 93, 96 was blocked. They were not allowed to get anything on this issue. And they were they basically told the same thing that Carter was told you're just the president. Get the fuck out of here. All right. And so, which is, you know, constitutional treason and everything else. But, you know, people are putting up with that now. It's like, hey, whatever. Treason, national security states, we're, we're, yeah. we're down with it. So um, uh, the Clintons were blocked. and But they, they apparently had future plans with respect to this issue, which is why the number one Clinton uh, operative, the number one strategist in the Clinton world and in the democratic party, John Podesta called for the release of UFO files in 2002, 2003. And then close uh, Clinton friend and former Clinton secretary of energy, Bill Richardson challenged the Roswell uh, conclusions of the air force in 2004. Uh, and so with that as a background, uh, it was notable that when Obama beat Clinton and took over the presidency and basically for the moment snatched from, from her the opportunity if she chose to be the disclosure president and make the announcement to the world. Uh, the Clintons just embraced him even though they had attacked him and really irritated him and angered him. They all got together very quickly and so Obama hired Podesta to be his transition chairman in 2008. And for the next 77 days, Podesta helped the president pick the new government, which is a very important position. And that in government included, guess who? Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State, Leon Panetta, Chief of Staff to Clinton uh, in 93 96. What is he, his uh,
2: background, Stephen? What is Podesta's background that he,
4: he ended up becoming such a pivotal role in these? His, he, he's a policy wonk. He's the policy wonk's policy wonk. He's got the law degree, Georgetown. Um, he's got a lobbyist brother that's worth a bazillion bucks. He is uh, very brilliant, and uh, so he's he's a Washington insider. But he
2: seems passionate about the subject
4: of ufology. He well, he's passionate about the ET issue, obviously. But but uh, it, but it's tricky because again, remember, he is essentially advising. He's advised three presidents, or two presidents, and a president uh, wannabe. Uh, he's been a key advisor to Clinton, a key advisor to Obama, and now he's the chairman of her campaign. So what does it tell you? It tells you that he and probably a number of other people on the Clinton team know there's an E.T. presence. They've known it for a long time. Hell, you don't have to be you know, given a tour of the Pentagon or the Area 51 to know that. Just go read some good books. So he, I think he's known it, and so therefore the potential – for engaging politically was there, but that has to be viewed within the context of the political realities and winning elections and and all the stuff you have to go through. And so he has been threading that needle now for twenty some years, and now it's all coming to a head because after she goes into the administration, he is uh, you know uh, camp, uh, camp, uh, transition chair. Panetta comes in the administration. They tried to bring Bill Richards in the administration. This is the Clinton team going all the way back to the Rockefeller Initiative. Uh, But Obama was tied up. Obama had major problems as the new president. And so he wasn't really going to do much. He wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going to engage this. And so years go by. Uh, And now it's looking like Clinton will have her shot to be president and have the option to be the disclosure president. It's getting closer and closer. And so very interestingly in – December of 2013, Obama suddenly hires John Podesta into the White House to be an advisor. He brings him right into the White House. Now this is where you can talk freely without with presidential protection, no press, no no scrutiny, nothing, and he could advise him all he wants. And so he spends four, 13 months there. So maybe briefing him as well, correct? You don't know. We don't know. All we know is is that Podesta goes all the way back to the Rockefeller initiative. He was there during it. He calls for the release of UFO files two times.
2: What has been the (laughs) Rockefeller response to any of this? Have they been grilled
4: at all? Have people tried? No, no. no. Rockefeller died years ago. That that whole thing petered out in 96. Rockefeller got dementia, then dies a few years later. It's gone. It's history. However, while it may have failed as the initiative to get the files released and get disclosure from Clinton… It ends up being probably the key component to bringing about disclosure now, right? which often is the case. And so uh, Podesta is advisor to the president for 13 months, and now comes an interesting the key moment. It's his last day in the White House as advisor to his second president. It's already announced. That he is going to leave the White House and become the campaign chairman for Secretary Clinton who was the leading candidate to be the next president at that time and well ahead of everybody else. That makes him a really important person, highly public person, right? People are paying a lot of attention to John Podesta, not that they have in the past. And so the last day that he is leaving office, leaving his job as an advisor, he puts out a tweet on his White House account. I think it was the last tweet he put out, and in this tweet, he says, finally, my biggest failure of 2014, colon, once again, not securing the hashtag disclosure of the UFO files. Hashtag the truth is still out there. Copy Marine Dowd of the New York Times. Wow. Now, let me be clear. Let me be Wait, clear. I have
2: to digest that. Oh, you
4: got to digest that. Gosh. No political operative working in You know, at this I saw it, right but hearing you, yes.
2: hearing you it say be, it, wow. Yeah.
4: It, you, don't, you, don't, you don't make a joke. You don't do this unless no. there is a very important reason. Now, first of all, this tweet is just rich with uh, implications Clued. and meaning. All right. First of all, all right. Let's let's uh, uh, analyze it. He was listing his ten biggest, uh, uh, the ten most prominent, uh, his ten regrets. I think was ten biggest regrets from that previous year. And this is the last one. And he says it's my biggest failure. In other words, in the fourteen months I'm in the White House, this is my biggest failure. Okay of 2014 right. then he says once again that means that he had tried to get the files released previously well we know when that was it was the Rockefeller Initiative 93 to 96 so he just referred back to it All right? and then he says not securing the not disclosure of the UFO files the hashtag disclosure of the UFO files why is this significant? well here's why when we launched the Congressional Hearing Political Initiative on November the fifth of two thousand and fourteen, a few weeks before I left for, for Washington. Using one of my my Facebook groups, we put some people together and launched a Twitter storm where you have several hundred people generating tweets, right, and sprinkling them all over the place. The principal target was the Congress. We were sending tweets to the Congress. There's there's several hundred Twitter handles in the Congress. From November to roughly February, we generated I think over a million tweets raining down on Congress. And the understanding on the group was that whatever possible, the tweet would have the hashtag disclosure. And he used that hashtag in this tweet – very wow. interesting. Yeah. And then he says, of the UFO files, and then he copies Marine Dowd. Right. So what happened was that tweet generated a whole lot of articles around the world. I don't know, 150, 200. It was a big number of articles, and I have many of them listed on the website further down. You scroll further down. Well, that tweet was basically his decision – that okay i'm getting these calls from the press the the the, the rockefeller initiative uh, uh, was three was part of the citizen hearing on disclosure 3 hours of testimony day 1 and i know that the congress has received the entire set of those those testimonies and so it's up on the hill i know bass is trying to up trying to get up on the hill uh That's and right. And there's already been articles in The Washington Times and in January, several other papers. This thing is heating up. I have got to make a move. And so he makes the move. He puts this out there, right, which generates more articles and gets me several articles about PRG. There's been over 110 about my work uh, just since that time. And you Uh, used to be a
2: go-to guy. I don't know if you are anymore, but when Larry King was around and stuff, weren't you a go-to guy for him?
4: There was – not Larry King. I was doing CNN and MSNBC for a while. CNN, but, that was it. Yeah, I, but I I was not doing what they wanted. They expected me to come on and shuffle my feet and look down and 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 talk about the possibility that UFOs exist. In fact, I just walked in and said, "Yeah, there's an ET presence, and here's what's going on." And they go, "Shit, this guy's come on and, and telling the truth, and he's not acting shy about it." And so they sure. stopped bringing me in. Since then, I've done you know, God knows, <laughs> maybe eight hundred interviews. But in the uh, alternative press, right? But you're it's
2: not – you've not. never been a saucer guy. That's not your gig. No, I never and have. I'm a right. political activist. You you're a political activist. You don't fit in that column. And so I could see where producers would be annoyed with you. Yeah, well, they
4: don't they – don't, remember, the truth embargo is on. And by and large, the media sort of knows they're not supposed to go there. And so it's, they, they, they have to, they can't ignore the subject. So you come on and talk about lights in the sky. That's safe. But if somebody's coming on and dropping names of presidents, they're going, wait a minute. That's, that violates the truth embargo. We got to stop. And so I haven't been on, but I'll be coming back on soon. Trust me on this. And so, uh, this, this sets off a whole bunch of media and then the game is fully afoot. And then what happens is what – over the next from, – from February to the present what, present, what you have is here's what's co- simultaneously going on. Media articles are being written by the dozens. The Clinton team is taking actions, right, which generates more media articles. And then they take some more actions as they try to thread their way through this election process, right, right? Uh, Hopefully, without having to confront fully the Rockefeller Initiative, but prepared to do so if they are forced to. And this this unfolds over the next six, eight, ten, ten, twelve months. Their one principal concern, as of February of of 2015, was that she has got nine debates she's going to have to do, and she's going to be in a number of town halls. Right. And so, consequently, any one of those fine, you know, multimillionaire. Television news hosts could have asked her about this, and they don't – they can't predict that they won't, and so that was their biggest hurdle to get to so the debates.
2: Okay, yeah. okay. I'm, I'm, I'm reading you right. I'm following this, and I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the way you, you tell it as only Steve Bassett can tell, but are you saying that what you're trying to do hopefully – I hope if I'm reading you right – is possibly – Get folks within the community and within your organization to try to force the hand a little bit in like a Tim Russert-type question for Kucinich but a little bit more on target? Oh,
4: 100 times more powerful than that. Mm -hmm. Basically, the goal of of this is quite simple. The goal is – and I've said this repeatedly. I'm not hiding. I'm not not trying to sneak up on them. Uh, The goal is simple. Force the Rockefeller Initiative – issue directly into the campaign with a full engagement of it with the presidential candidate Clinton by major media triggering a huge media storm which will spread quickly to other members of the Clinton team including President Clinton Leanne Panetta John Podesta of course Webster Hubble Al Gore uh, Mac McClarty all the all the principals from that time and uh, and then, of course, there's about 17 private citizens who were involved in it, and uh, none of them have been interviewed by the mainstream press. So those, those interviews start taking place, and then very shortly after that, the press is going to turn their sights on the Pentagon and the White House, and they're was going the to start Rockef- heading over there.
2: But was the Rockefeller Initiative more of a committee designed to uh, handle the situation or to uh, bring
4: about disclosure? What was their main objective? The Rockefeller Initiative was Lawrence Rockefeller's attempt to convince Clinton to release all the files, give amnesty to witnesses, and essentially end the truth embargo. It involved a number of private citizens as well as a number of people in the Clinton administration. Uh, There there was a strategy meeting held at the Rockefeller uh, Ranch in Wyoming, and then the Clintons met with Rockefeller the next year in 2000. I mean, in in, uh, 1995... There were reports, there were letters, there were all this stuff. All all of this is documented on my website. You go to paradigmresearchgroup.org. And so it was a three-year engagement of the issue inside the White House involving people inside and outside the White House. But because of the truth embargo, the media didn't cover it. And because the Clintons had huge political aspirations, they all decided we'll just never talk about this and hope it goes away. But it didn't go away because Grant Cameron got the documents in 2000. Now, we did try to get the media involved. Believe me.  … … into that issue, but they wouldn't do it. They simply wouldn't do it. This is not the only thing they won't do, but they didn't have the hook, right? And so, I was
2: about to ask you, what are the
4: headlines, if you could see them coming up? Yeah, I mean it, it involves the Clintons and it involves ET issue, but w- what happened was we didn't get the documents in 2000, and, and if Gore had won the presidency, we could have really made some, some noise… Because he he's, he he knew about the Rockefeller Initiative and now he's president. But Bush won, and so with Bush as the president, the media didn't see the connection. He, they didn't want to pursue it. Then Bush won again, right? And then Obama won. Okay, he wasn't part of the Clinton team. He is now, and so they just wouldn't go with it.
2: What do you but, say to folks? What do you say to folks that would say, Steve, uh, the Clintons are powerful, but they're not as powerful as the people who are really pulling the strings. And there's no way they'd be able to release, the, uh, release that kind of information. Without Again,
4: they, they, so then, then they haven't heard what I'm saying. Okay, what I'm saying is the, the Rockefeller Initiative connection is the hook that is going to bring this issue into a presidential campaign, not just any campaign, the most vicious campaign probably in American history. It's already been in the campaign in a sense, right, for over a year. Because this, this, this campaign is actually two years – going to be a two-year campaign, so it's already been involved, but it's going to go to another level. And when that happens, a media storm will eventually encompass the Pentagon and the White House. And faced with reporters whose hair is on fire, they're going to finally have to do what they have not done and refused to do for the last – well, at least fully seven years. And that is the White House and the Pentagon are going to have to come to an understanding that allows the president – to finally acknowledge the e t presence, and that president will be Obama, not Clinton. she's not going to be the disclosure president under this scenario. Obama's going to be the disclosure president later right? this year That's right, so that is what's unfolding, so getting back to that tweet after that tweet, yes, you know we got articles pouring out, and then on a month later on March the 13th, Obama goes on Jimmy Kimmel and arranges to get asked my the first terrestrial question. my birthday, too. Yeah. And then on September the twenty ninth, <laughs> puts out another tweet. Right? And this tweet, the context is extraordinary. If you don't know the context, you don't realize how important it is. Remember, the number one concern that they had was would this issue be brought up in the debates? Like it happened with Kucinich, only in a much more intense way. Right. And they didn't they didn't know, right? I mean they don't they don't have that much power. They they don't they don't run the networks. They're not phoning in the questions to the network news uh, moderators that are, that are moderating these, these, uh, these debates. And so a week before, about nine days before the first, very first debate, obviously extremely important debate, Hillary Clinton gives an interview to an actress named Lena Dunham, girls, HBO. And it's a millennial thing. So Lena interviews her and it goes on. It's very nice, whatever. And she asks the question and it's all done. Two days later, now just one week before Clinton is to go before the moderators of the first Democratic primary debate, John Podesta puts out this tweet. Great interview, Lena Dunham, but Lena, ask her about aliens next time. Hashtag the truth is out there and then copies Hillary Clinton. Wow. Wow. Now understand your candidate, who is you know trying to become president, involved in a candidate where the Democrats may end up spending two billion dollars, is about to go into debate, and you bring up just before the debate how somebody who just interviewed her should have asked her about aliens, and it's a joke, and to make sure that people don't think he's like gone off the the road here, he he, he copies. His boss. What he was literally doing is, is saying, without having to be too obvious, to the fine, crack journalists that, that host these you know, news shows on cable and network television. If you're going to ask her, ask her. We're ready. And if you don't, fine. We'll cruise on. And they didn't ask. They didn't ask in any of those debates. Then October the 6th, her husband goes on. On Colbert, and he arranged to be asked the extraterrestrial question. Right. More articles come out, and then the articles are really getting intense now. And, they're, and of course, the Clinton campaign is getting more calls right, from, from media wanting to know what's going on, and they're right. not answering. They're not answering the calls. So they know the pressure is building, and so finally they take it to the next level, and this was, of course, a significant event. And that is on December the 30th, 2015, right in the middle of the, of the first primary, not the first election. That was the caucus in Iowa, but the first primary, the important, a very important New Hampshire primary. Clinton is campaigning up there. She's up in New Hampshire, and she gives a two-hour interview to the editorial board of the Conway Daily Sun newspaper. And after, and they hit her with all the questions, tough questions, you know, grilling for two hours. Afterwards, she walks up to a reporter that she knows there named Damon Steer, and she knew that he was interested in the issue. He had asked her about ETS in 2008 when she was running. Then, so not surprisingly, he asked her again, and in over a period of 90 seconds. The leading candidate to be president of the United States tells Damon Steer on the record – if I'm president, I'm going to look into the UFO issue. I'm going to reinvestigate it. Uh, We probably should set up a task force to investigate Area 51. And three – and this is the killer. We may have been visited already. We just don't know. The article goes up immediately. And generates hundreds of articles worldwide. Three days later, because of that statement, the UK press jump in with both feet, and they start rattling off one article after another. Now you have to understand the UK press has huge internet presence. They have hun- they get they get several billion page views a year. All right, uh, Daily Mirror, Daily Star, the Telegraph, The Guardian, The Daily Express, huge followers around the English language world, billions of page views a year. And they started pounding the articles out. All right. And then on February the 11th, Obama goes on Ellen DeGeneres' show and arranges to be asked about extraterrestrials. And then only two weeks, three weeks later, John Podesta is in campaigning uh, with Clinton in Nevada – And he accepts an interview from KLAS-TV and uh, during that interview confirms that Secretary Clinton's statements in New Hampshire were serious and that she's promised to look into it. He does this on camera, and that's March the 1st. Well, the articles come out, and then on March the 24th, Secretary Clinton goes on Jimmy Kimmel and arranges to be asked the same extraterrestrial question that Kimmel had asked her husband. And Obama and that was on March the 24th on April the 8th Podesta gives another interview to CNN politics Jake Tapper and restates again that she is serious about this and then on April the 19th the day before the all-important New York primary the day before the primary in New York she is on a radio show called Power 105 the breakfast show and one of the hosts there Brings up the ET questions and she says it again. And then on January the 2nd, again, remember, in between all these events, articles are pouring out and you can see them on my website mentioning this stuff, covering this stuff, pointing this stuff out, right? And then on June the 2nd, Secretary, uh, I mean, uh, John, John Podesta is speaking at a high tech conference in San Pedro. It's called the um, uh, the Code Conference. Attendance is $6,500 a ticket. And he says it again. He brings it up again. He's asked about it and brings up the fact that she's serious. Meanwhile, right, just – and this is a very another significant milestone that occurred this year. Is that it took – and it took 14, 15 months for this to happen. But this is not surprising because the higher you go up, in the media hierarchy, the more tied up with the truth embargo they are. All right? They're on board. They've been on board for a very long time. But on May the 10th, the New York Times decides it's time for it to step in. Now, something interesting happened here. When the New York Times decided to do an article on the Clinton-ET connection, I was in New York. I just happened to be in New York, and they just happened to call me. Okay. And hang on. I'm going to turn this off. And so when Amy Chozik of the New York Times calls me, I say, yeah, Amy, I'll interview you. I want to come down to the New York Times offices. So she says, And so I go down to the New York Times office, and she interviews me at the New York Times offices for an hour. I was the principal source on this article. You can't really tell from the article. And she lays it out there. Right, She talks about the Jimmy Kimmel interview. She puts a link to it. She interviews one of my key people, Joe, Joe Bookman, who was part of the Citizen Area on Disclosure. She puts up links to other interviews. She puts up a link to the uh, Conway Daily Sun article. Uh, she talks about me. Uh, she puts up the photo of uh, Clinton and on and on. I mean you can see this article. It's a New York Times article. Right? Was
2: she taken aback by the information when you were feeding it to her?
4: T- top political reporters at New York Times papers do not – ever expressed taken aback they don't express anything Got it. and then in this comprehensive article in the New York Times which by the way generated a considerable amount of press this is on May and by the way this article came out on May the 10th and it was only three weeks later that Podesta turns up at the code conference in California and restates Clinton's interest to, to reinvestigate this issue but something very important is in this article hang on a second I'm going to go on down alright let me see if I, I'll, I'll get it I'll get it for you this is very important all right To give you an idea where things are. OK. Um, OK. Hang on. All right. She refers to several quotes that Podesta had made in the past. Right. In other words, he's in this. She talks about the fact that uh, uh, his statement that he made in uh, the, the foreword to Leslie Kane's book, UFOs, Generals, and Pilots, and Government Officials Go on Record. Uh, she talks about his X-Files uh, obsession, uh, and she talks about his February the 13th tweet, and then she says this. Mr. Podesta declined to comment for this article. In other words, the New York Times called him, and he did not respond. Why? Because if Podesta gets into a Q&A with a major paper, there's no way he's going to be able to dodge the inevitable, which is what happened in 93 to 96. What is the Rockefeller initiative? What took place? We have the documents. We've seen them online. And the moment that discussion starts, things escalate very quickly, and that's what they're trying to avoid. That is the line – that if it gets crossed, the jig is up. Now they can cross that line anytime they want. Podesta can call up any number of reporters, Marine Dowd particularly, and just say, "Look, uh, you know, you got an interview with the candidate. Now go great, win." And then just say, "By the way, when you do this interview, make sure you ask her about ETs." Um, right? Bingo, it's done. But they haven't done that. They're not proactively prepared to cross that line. And so he, but he, and so with that, he he's, he didn't want to be forced into it. So, but. You know how serious it is when the New York Times does a very legitimate, comprehensive article on the UFO-ET Rockefeller Initiative Connection of the Clintons mentioning me, mentioning Paradigm Research Group, mentioning it all, meaning this is serious. This is no joke piece, and when the one of the principals of the article and the campaign chairman to the, to the, to the, to the, to the real principal of the article, the candidate, Clinton – is unable to even comment. Are you starting to get the picture now? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's it's been pretty, nothing like this ever in the 70 years since Roswell, and we even come close to what we're seeing now. Wow. This is why we have you on.
2: Uh, how did that make you feel as far as, you know, just getting personal for a second? Come on. We're, that must have been a high, a, a high for you.
4: Like, I was you know, very pumped up. I was very pumped up when I, when, I, when I knew I was going to give the interview to the Times. Uh, it is a long time coming, yep. and, um, uh, and since then, my God, that was on May the 10th, and then the floodgates opened. Washington Times article, uh, Hillary Clinton and UFOs, Der Spiegel, uh, the London Times. Believe it or not, the Times of London finally did something. It's the only piece they've done. Hillary Clinton, the truth is out there. Then Public Standard, Pacific Standard Magazine did an extensive interview on May. Washington Times article, Hillary hails a flying saucer to the White House. Chicago Tribune, will the next president open the X-Files? Daily Express, May 20. Uh, White House dodges alien question. That was when, when, when the question – four reporters now brought it up in the, in, the, in the White House briefing room. That took place in May. Uh, and Then Chicago Tribune again, May 20. Uh, Hillary Clinton offers out-of-this-world possibility. MSN jumps in May 25th, and okay, the New we, York Daily News, and on and on. It just continues. On and on and on.
2: I don't know. We've got a half hour left, so here's where I want to go with this because you've described the recipe for this open window of opportunity. Yeah, you're uh, seeing how like it's coming explicit. together. Oh, explicit oh, yeah. detail. Yeah. I mean exciting,
0: exciting. Unless Trump gets elected.
2: Well, hold on. This is going to happen
4: hopefully before there's an election. That would be the Trump card.
2: Yeah, and that's what Steve's talking about. He's talking about Obama doing this, and there's a lot of reasons that come to mind why that would be perfect timing now that I think about it. But I guess here's where I want to go with the last half hour because Mm -hmm. this audience can now go, if their blood is boiling, which it should be at this point, over to your website to read some of this stuff because I know after this program I'm going to want to deep dive into Rockefeller more because I thought I had a little bit of knowledge about it, and I guess I must have been wrong, um, or I didn't know enough. I want to know more after hearing this. I really do because it sounds like such a major event in our history that turns sure out to, to create sure the to be. tipping point, right? Yeah. Uh, and and really pushing that needle. So let's go here with the last half hour because um, I know we even we even missed a break. Do we have to break? No, we're
1: good, right? We no, we have to break, yes, sir. You got we it. Have to. Okay, Let's take a
2: break. Where I want to go next is I want to hear from Steve what that day might look like when the the hand is forced, so to speak, um, if it's at a debate or uh, somewhere else in what Mm -hmm. venue, what would be the aftermath, and how this audience all over the world with the power of what you speak of, the internet, Twitter, etc., social media, how they can get involved to support you. And that's what I want to talk about in the last half hour when we come back. Euphonaut Radio, Jesse Randolph, Chris J. Brown, the angel of ufology, and, of course, the fox molder of the truth embargo, Mr. Steve Bassett of PRG. Coming back in a couple of minutes, Euphonaut Radio on a Monday night. Thanks for being here.
3: Mac Maloney lately? In your military career, did you ever see anything that came close to an unusual UFO sighting or... Uh, n- no.
0: Holy <laughs> That was the yeah. 10 seconds of, uh, no. Uh,
3: what are you That tra- was so convincing. Yeah. What that are you trying one to one say one. there?
0: Well, UFO is an innocuous term. That's the
3: worst <laughs> fucking denial I've ever heard. You just know, go flying, flying something. Mac Maloney's military X-files Friday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern on the public streaming radio network. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store.
2: Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today.
0: News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com
2: for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Welcome back, out Radio Monday night with our guest Stephen Bassett of PRG, of course the Godfather of the, the the Godfather of the disclosure movement. I like to refer to you as Angel. Help me there. The Godfather, yeah, the
1: godfather. Just when really he thought he was out, yeah. pulls him back in. That's right, Yeah, and
0: I don't I mean, have my harmonica here to play the Godfather for you. No, him. he doesn't.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. But that would yeah, be I cool mean, if you did.
2: Yeah, first hour, and I was... can was pretty eye opening i have to say uh but the last half hour where you pulled it together and you really start to see why there is a window at first i wasn't with you and that's the great thing about how uh if you really listen to somebody sometimes and you can really start to see where they're coming from and you live and breathe this stuff you do you've been doing this full time for how long 20 years yeah i mean uh, it, it's hard to debate you on something like this uh, because you put, be putting your foot in your mouth a lot, I would think. But let me ask you this. I forgot to ask this question. I want to get it out there. Um, ufology, exopolitics, the genre itself, does it get in your way? Does it get in your way of your goals a lot because you get uh, grouped into that and you have to use that catalyst, that, that uh, lecture tour sometimes uh, to get your message across?
4: It's, it's a complicated – Answer. Look, uh, ufology, which is the quote to science of the phenomena, we couldn't be where we are today if there hadn't been decades of that. Um, and that was kind of acceptable during under the truth embargo, right? Nobody was really too put too, too much pressure. Where the pressure was, if you started pushing toward the government, then things would get a little dicey. Um, the media was allowed to cover sightings, but they weren't allowed to call up the Pentagon and ask questions. So. But we couldn't be there now. But the thing is, it's no longer about UFOs, and it's, uh, the UFO uh, presence, the ET presence has already been proven. right? Uh, so you, we you have sorta, to move
2: – You didn't answer the question, but I, I think I get what you're saying. I'm trying. I mean what I'm okay, trying to say this. It, 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 it,
4: it's not like you just can't jettison – it's not, you know you can't view as, ufology as like a, a stage of a rocket that has to be jettisoned to fall back into the atmosphere. It's not going to go away, but we we're moving beyond it, and so there's there's a little bit of, of of friction there, a little bit of confusion, but that's inevitable. I mean that's you can't avoid that kind of stuff. Uh, so the but the activism is by, the act, advocacy movement is pretty much separated itself in terms of language, in terms of the actions that it's taking from the world of, quote, ufology. Well, the they, reason I it,
2: bring it up, Steve, is because there's only uh, – according to my knowledge base, there's only one other guy that's done what you've done as far as tried to really go into the government sector and move the needle and and try to um, force people's hands and get this disclosure truth embargo um, into an explosion for the world to see. And that would be Greer, Dr. Greer. And there's a big difference between the two of you uh, that I see. I'd love to hear yours because, number one, I would want to know, do you agree with me? Because he has also done some hearings that I thought were quite impressive, and I think most people did. But the difference between a guy like him and you, Stephen Bassett, to me, is that he gets into the metaphysical area, too. In fact, he's sort of moved over to that in many ways. Um, and so there's this combo that he offers. So uh, sometimes I look at him as more of a guru-type guy at this point. Okay, And also he is doing a lot of experimental stuff. If you want to call it science, that's fine. Some people think it's not. Um the point I'm making is, is that you're more of a hardline, straight-shooter kind of guy. You're a mainstream guy, and that's where I see the difference between you two. My question is, do you agree with that? And the second part of the question is, why aren't you guys working together?
4: First of all, the differences between me and Greer, or me and anybody else, are what not not what's important. What's important is, do we have the same fundamental goal? And – by and large, everybody in the advocacy movement that I'm dealing with uh, has the same fundamental goals, disclosure, the announcement of the extraterrestrial presence by heads of state. Um, and so in that sense, we're fine. There's no problem. Uh, but we are different, and we also have different approaches, and for that reason, he's, he does his thing, and I do my thing. Uh, and that's true of a lot of people. Uh, this is not a field that makes it easy to work in highly collaborative ways. We don't have the funds. We don't have brick-and-mortar operations. We're operating in cyberspace. But there's activists working in a number of countries, particularly up in Canada, and that overlaps with the U.S. But right now, you know, a, only a couple of people, private citizens, have engaged the government uh, to the degree that Greer I have. Right. And because Stephen got off into, I think, some other areas – uh, and I stayed focused on Washington, I'm kind of out in the front at this point in terms of dealing with DC. He's in the he's involved in making a second movie. I'm just completely involved in, in confronting the political Do you campaign. guys
2: compare notes? Have you had
4: lunch? Do you guys no, no, of course not. We don't need to. I don't I don't have lunch hard and play tennis with anybody. I'm a free floating activist working from a computer screen, man. Uh, this is a, this movement is in cyberspace. It's unlike any advocacy movement really before it. Uh, and by the way, cyberspace and the computer and the internet is the only reason we're going to – is one of the few reasons we'll succeed because without the internet, we could not do this. It simply well, me, would not work.
2: Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, tell me about your team. Who do you work with? Who do you trust? Who's your go-to person when you have something hot that you need to run back to the office or your house or your car, back to your laptop because something just happened? It's breaking who can you turn to? Are there people on your team?
4: Do you want to talk about them at all? Well, I, I wouldn't phrase it that way, and I can I mention some people, but understand, you know, you you can't you can't mention everybody, and some people may think, gee, you know, why am I mentioned? But so I don't generally do that. I don't talk that way. But look, I have certain colleagues which are extremely important to me. One of them is certainly Richard Dolan. Um, his work is critical to To this field, critical to the advocacy movement because what, what he's – his writings and the books he's putting out. And of course Grant Cameron who has compiled all the UFO or the ET president materials at his website, presidentialufo.com, and of course obtained the documents uh, confirming the Rockefeller Initiative. These are two very key people. Joe Bookman is a very close confidant. He's a, he's a political activist. He's running for uh, – by the way, he's running for Senate as a libertarian uh, – House of the state Senate in Utah, I think District 14, this year, and hey, he's got a chance to win. Um and and you know, there's but there's a limited number of people that I that I that that it's it's not so much that some are less important than others, it's just that the work that particular work they're doing fits and 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 and, and is compatible with what I'm doing right now, right? Uh, and so that makes them important. But believe me, I, I, I have contacts with hundreds and hundreds of researchers and activists and witnesses uh, and interact various times. I've got probably over 300,000 emails um, going back 20 years. So again, it's an activist movement moving forward. But what's on the plate right now is what your people need to know about. And look, what I just described is very difficult to put in words. It's very difficult to follow. Uh, They go to paradigmresearchgroup.org and click on the, uh, the link there near the bottom of the page, unprecedented political media coverage. And if they start at the top, this is the way this page is designed, and they just start reading down. Then they go through the Clinton team events that I was talking about. And then underneath that, they get to some of the key highlighted stories, which are highlighted with graphics. And then underneath that, they can see some of the media coverage, the television coverage of, of this, which has been very limited. And then the little television coverage of my work directly. And then underneath that is hundreds of these articles listed chronologically when they can spend hours reading these things and just see this unprecedented coverage. Now, one of the linchpins to what's going on right now is television and here's the problem. With respect to the truth embargo, the print media is breaking away from that embargo very quickly, not only because print is broadened so much horizontally. There's so much print, not only different newspapers but also different websites. Uh, news websites and all this, and so I'm, I'm working with 28 print journalists right now with 28 publications as an official source on direct communications with them, real time, and they've already written dozens and dozens of articles. and They're going to write a lot more, but obviously TV is really important to America. That's where they get a lot of their news, and the TV networks are the most compromised by the truth embargo, meaning the three network news operations, ABC, NBC, CBS News, and the three cable operations, Fox, MSNBC, and CNN, are locked up in this truth embargo, really compromised. It's it's awful. Uh, And so – and the reason for that is – that the original networks were brought on board the Truth Embargo way back in the 50s when they were weak and small and, of course, under the aegis of the FCC. And the government had them by the short hairs, And essentially, they had to do whatever the government wanted to do. Plus, they'd already been cooperating during the war. And so so they were locked up. And then when the cable networks come in later, the trouble with the cable news operations is they have such small audiences that they're literally fighting for their survival all the time and and competing with each other. Uh, for viewers, and this issue is dangerous for them. And plus, the networks are not doing it, so they're afraid to to to, to you know break out of that mold. And so they have failed us. I mean, on this issue and other issues, these six network news operations have just failed the American people uh, in 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 large, in great fashion. Uh, on many issues, not the least of which is the ET issue, which, and, and that is why in, in, the, in the 35 debates and town halls that we just went through uh, with the Democrats and the Republicans, not a single question was asked of anybody related to the UFO ET issue even though hundreds and hundreds of articles were pouring out of the print journalism all around them. That shows a complete compromise on the part – now, that doesn't mean it's going to last – and so what you want to look for is when, when, the, when they finally make the turn under pressure from the print articles, they're going to call me. They already did. Now, 30 days ago, finally, after 18 months, CNN calls me. Okay, so they say, we want you to contribute a segment to uh, – some, some material to a segment by Jeannie Mose. Well, Jeannie Mose does the, the, uh, the humor takes on CNN. They're very good. I love them. I love Jeannie. She's great. But there was no way I was going to contribute without knowing how it was going to come out to a comedic segment on, the, on this issue. Sure. And so I declined. They got Stan Friedman. He did fine. They did a little take. It wasn't that bad. And that's it. That's what CNN has done. right? And then ABC News calls me for a Sunday night thing, and I wanted to do that badly. But unfortunately, uh, they called me. I was in London. They get me in time. So it took 15 months. Finally, I get two calls. I, these calls are going to come, and I'm going to start turning up on the news shows. And when you see me on the news shows, you will know that we're probably now really close to finally this happening. And what is going to happen if all things go according to plan, this is what's going to happen at some point, either because the campaign has set it up or because the media has decided, you know, this is it. Secretary Clinton is going to be confronted with very specific questions about the ET issue, the history of the Rockefeller Initiative, her husband and so forth in this issue by a journalist that cannot be blown off. And she is going to come forward. She's going to speak. She's going to elaborate. And when that happens, all of the rest of the media are now freed up. In other words, they've been given a full license. And they will, of course, jump in because this is one of the biggest political stories in history. And the story behind it, the E.T. presence, is the Biggest news story in history. And once they start in on it, they're going to get really intense, and the questions are going to start flying. And as it grows, eventually they're going to turn toward the White House and the Pentagon and Let start asking. Me right there. Yeah.
1: Let me stop you right there. Do you, and I asked you this off air, and I really wanted to get to this. Uh, do you think that the political climate right now with the election and all the uh, stuff that's coming out with Hillary Clinton, do you think any of that uh, that's coming out negatively towards her has anything to do with this subject itself?
4: Well, it's part of that that recipe, that that extraordinarily fortunate recipe that has come together here, because not only is Secretary Clinton running a second time, but she is running with a huge amount of baggage. She has a whole lot of problems. This is no cakewalk, no guarantee. She's already been taking heavy hits for months and months and months, and now she's got a candidate who is virtually a on. Uh, you know, he has no he has no. Uh, he has no, no boundaries. He's capable of doing anything. And, and everybody knows that the Republicans are putting together an absolute vicious tsunami of attack ads. And so she is, she is facing one of the most difficult, unpleasant elections that anybody could imagine as the first woman uh, nominee in history. And she could easily be defined very quickly and start losing in the polls. She's already even. She's even behind in a few polls. Within 30 days, if the attack ad score hits, she could be down 10 points. So yep. she's got a major problem, and this is where it gets really interesting because I spend a lot of my time trying to climb inside John Podesta's head. I hope it doesn't bother him, uh, but I do uh, because I have to, trying to look at the situation from his point of view. And from that point of view, here's what I see, and it's not that complicated. It's a simple equation that he has to solve, and he has to make his call very soon. He can play the ET card and allow this thing to explode, ultimately leading to a a disclosure announcement by Obama, and do it soon, very soon. And that explosion of interest in that subject and everything that will go on after that will literally force the uh, attack memes that the the Republicans are putting together right off the stage. No one is going to want to hear about them. They're not going to care. It's it's all going to be about, well, what do you know? And what happened back then? Is E.T.'s reeling? What are you going to do? And the whole thing is just escalating. And now she's the center stage. And very quickly, these attack ads start looking like desperation and attempt to distract the people from this unbelievable story that's unfolding in front of them. And I think it locks her up to the White House. I think she walks right in, though that's not my job. My job is not to elect anybody. On the other hand, if he, if he, if he waits, if he waits to see how it's going to go, and so say he goes 30 days, and she's getting pounded, and, you know, and, and she's pounding Trump, and everybody is watching this conflagration underway, and everybody's sick to death of it and disgusted. But whatever, 30 days go by, and she's behind in the polls, and then this issue gets forced out because a major newspaper comes at him strong. And they have to bring this issue up, say, in, I don't know, uh, mid-September. The American people are going to say, oh, are you kidding me? You know, you're know, you under attack. You're down in the polls. And so now you're bringing up this ET issue. You're telling us the truth now about this, not because we have a right to know or it's the right thing to do, but because it's desperation. You're trying to save your, your candidacy, which is the worst possible thing that could happen because it plays completely into her number one. Uh, negative. And so if he makes the wrong call, it could cost her the White House. And this is the decision I believe he is facing. Now, understand, we win in several ways here. If he makes the decision to play the card early, we're going to see disclosure before the election. If the if the if the media comes in later and forces it out, it'll probably still trigger disclosure, but she might lose the White House, okay? And if it comes out and she is able to And somehow they're able to contain it enough so that she's, she can, she wins the election. Obama doesn't take any action, even though we're going to put a lot of pressure on him to do so. And then she goes into the White House. All of this stuff that will happen in the next few months follows her right in the door. And so the idea that she can just say, you know, that E.T. thing, I I wasn't really serious about it. I mean it's not that big a deal. Uh Uh-uh, not going to happen. The the pressure on her will just be extreme to take immediate action. And by immediate action, I don't mean, oh, I'm going to look into the UFOs. That's absolutely nonsense. That's nothing but dog whistle, right? There's no looking into, right? What she will do and have to do is contact the Pentagon, have them come over she put them in the Oval Office. She'll sit down at her desk, and she'll say to them, here's the deal, guys. The jig is up. You will brief me now on everything regarding this issue. You will let me see anything I want because I'm going to tell the American people about this, and any of you that refuse are immediately fired because, in fact, she can do that. Any of them, and they will capitulate, and she will disclose, and she will be the disclosure president, and she'll go down in history. That could happen. We win in all three of those cases. It's, now the question is what happens to her, right? And so what's going to happen over the next five months is this. This is how PRG is, 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 is strategizing. We're going to put as much pressure on her through the media as possible. … and try to force a disclosure event. If a disclosure has not taken place by the election, one of two things will happen. Trump wins. If Trump wins, then we're going to put as much pressure as we can on Obama to disclose before he leaves office right? and get that done. He has a lot of reasons to do that. If Clinton wins, then obviously we're going to put – we're going to continue to put pressure on Obama to disclose before she takes the White House… Right And the reason we're going to do that is even if he doesn't disclose, all that media coverage is going to put more pressure on her. And then once she takes the White House if disclosure hasn't happened, I will then go full bore uh, on her administration and continue into 2017. The worst case scenario is if we cannot force disclosure by the election, if Trump wins the election, if we cannot get Obama to disclose by the time Trump takes office on January the 20th then i'm going to relocate prg to london i'm going to change the name to prg international and i'm going to shift the focus of prg's work to other governments and try to get disclosure from another government that is the that is prg's strategy that's what people wow. are funding when they give money to prg at this point so that's and and so again am i guaranteeing it no but anybody that goes to this coverage page that I've told you about and goes and – starts at the bottom and goes – starts at the top and goes to the bottom. By the time they get to the bottom of this page, I guarantee you they will um, they will understand that what is going on is unprecedented in the 70-year history of this phenomena, that it is extraordinary, and it is coming together very rapidly, and that if it were not for the truth embargo, this whole thing would have blown out already. But the truth embargo is not going to give up. The Ghost, without some resistance. And so it's not over yet. It's not over yet, but it's coming. Here, here.
2: Steve, um, amazing stuff, Uh, exciting stuff. And there's things to watch for, which is really exciting. Uh, Mm -hmm. So now I have a whole other reason to watch the debates because I'm going to be sitting there with bated breath waiting for a question about E.T., Correct
4: let 's just say that if we haven 't broken it out by the debates, I can tell you man that those those network non if they don 't ask her they're they 're committing professional suicide in a way they 're destroying their legacies uh it 's just going to be unbelievable if they capitulate again, and so i I, I think there 's a good possibility that we would see questions serious questions in those debates uh, but frankly i I don't think it will make it to the – I think we're going to see disclosure. I think it's going to happen even before the debates. But that is the the final hurdle for Podesta. If he can get her through the three debates, I think at the end of those debates, if if the TV people have have continued to fail us uh, and ask no questions, he may then decide, okay, I think we can make it all the way, and then it could get interesting. Uh, We'll see what happens. But again, uh, the, the way this ultimately plays out. Is, and the reason why there is a huge upside for certain parties is this. If Obama discloses, he becomes the disclosure president, one of the greatest legacies in all of presidential history. The Democratic Party becomes the disclosure party, a huge legacy for them. The Clintons, because of all their statements in the last two years, plus the actions back in '93, plus Podesta statements in between, all of that, they get grandfathered in as "Hey, you guys did a lot, you helped out, you know, you, you made history." They get grandfathered; they benefit. The American people benefit, obviously, because they finally get the truth. The only group that gets really screwed here, and you know, I'm not being partisan; it's just fact. Wait, we'll wait, let us pups.
2: guess. Let us guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say the industrial complex
4: wrong oh. republicans oh. Republicans. The oh. republicans See, republicans i'm national. not paying attention
0: oh, oh
4: no you see the republicans have done nothing said nothing they've gone completely along with the truth embargo they're completely out the loop and so all of this will be unfolding and they'll be soft they'll be out, off to the side you know looking at their shoes uh it will be a catastrophe to republicans now you know
2: okay. that's the way it is we got five minutes left, but what we didn't get to, and it 's really not your bag, but I still wanted your opinion if you give it in two minutes, was okay, what's the fallout? What do you think the fallout would be uh, the next day for the public if this came to the
4: be- day after disclosure the day <laughs> after disclosure Look, Well, first of all, fallout is the radioactive debris uh, subsequent to a uh, nuclear explosion, so fallout's not the phrase okay. the aftermath of disclosure will be the beginning of the most extraordinary period in human history. It will be intense. It will be exciting. Um, you will see people engaged in ways you've never imagined. You will see the world coming together in ways that we haven't seen before. You'll see a no- you'll see internet traffic that will just challenge the limits of every server in the world. Uh, you will see a huge tug of war developing between the people and the government with the media supporting the people in this case finally. Uh, the government will be in enormous, under enormous pressure to start releasing information in an orderly fashion. We will start to sort through the reality of this. We'll start to get rid of the chaff, keep the wheat, and, and start developing a proper model for what is the model for the history and where we're going to go forward. Uh, some people will get a little weird. Most people are going to go great. Um, so I, I'm not concerned about the aftermath. So you feel very
2: positive I'm, about it.
4: I feel very positive Un- unless the government were to do something incredibly stupid like lie about it, try to create a false flag, uh, use it as some sort of a, a, you know, a geopolitical tool to, to piss off other countries. I mean I, I can't put it past the, our government to do something really stupid because that seems to be their modus operandi now. However, sure. this issue transcends even stupidity. I, I, think, I think it will force the, the smart people in the room, the adults in the room. To come forward in a very big way and basically tell the children, the idiots, the fools, the narcissists, and the warmongers, look, you know, step aside, okay? You've had your time. Now, uh, the adults need to take over because this is really important. This is the real deal. Um, and your silly games that you've been playing for 10,000 years, they just don't, they don't work anymore. Uh, so overall, I'm pretty optimistic. I hope not to be disappointed, but at worst, it will be a mixed bag where there'll be a lot of positives and some negatives, without question, a mixed bag. But in terms of being some sort of awful uh, apocalyptic change, uh, no, uh, not a chance.
2: Ah, huh. well, you know, I've gotten to about I would say five of the twenty-five questions I had for you tonight, and that's usually <laughs> the tug of war with doing a Stephen Bassett interview. Because yeah. you have to get the fuck out of the way and let him talk. And you want to say something, next thing you know, two hours have passed. So the only thing I could say to that is, I'm glad I got out of the way. And the rest of the panel, I think, would agree. And I agree. I really enjoy <laughs> yep. hearing what's on the cusp of this topic. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple of people we can go to. And you... What is so unique about a Steve Bassett, um, folks, is that he has always made himself accessible to this community, okay? He has never said no unless he's not available, and he's usually available because he really eats, breathes, and sleeps this subject of disclosure. So tonight I hope for all the people that had wondered what the hell is going on, are we making any progress – is this subject relevant anymore? I hope you just got your answer for crying out loud.
4: Again, uh, if pe- if people have not had the opportunity to read these articles, and, and there's no reason why they would have, uh, then they may not get it. And, and most and most people have not, and and they don't get it. But I tell you, all you got to do is go there to that page, paradigmresearchgroup.org. Political coverage link, go right to that. Start at the top. Go to the bottom. I guarantee you, you'll get it, Uh, and and obviously I'm intimately involved with all of this. I understand this, so that's why I'm I'm in a very positive, very uh, aggressive frame of mind on this, Uh, and yes, I have been positive in the past. I have projected the possibilities of disclosure in the past, Uh, and I don't don't apologize for that, Uh, but let me be clear. What's going on now is beyond anything that I have uh, seen since uh, this field in 96 and anything, frankly, prior to 96, to be honest with you, uh, going back all the way to Roswell. Uh, this is the best opportunity for disclosure we've had since Roswell, which would have you know, kind of an extraordinary situation. Uh, but we came within hours, I think, of probably an irrevo- irreversible uh, 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 disclosure small D disclosure process which would have forced the government's hand this is the best thing that's happened since then and my only concern is that we don't move fast enough and somebody a major terrorist attack takes place and and it can happen any day and that's why i'm racing and 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 racing with the devil on this because a major terrorist attack could derail all of this for an indefinite period of time what a a quagmire
2: what a quagmire to have to deal with I have to worry about if I got the right vegetables the other day. So, uh, you know, that's the, that's the strangeness of this subject when I get to delve in on Monday nights. Uh, Steve Bassett, thanks for being on the show tonight. Uh, you guys are great. Thanks for enlightening us, and we support you, and you're always uh, welcome My here, My goodness obviously. do we ever. Yep. And, uh, of course, yep. Angel. Is one of your biggest fans.
1: By the way, Steve, one day in the near future—and mm-hmm. I say near because I do think your—you know—disclosure, you know, is imminent. Like you know, you convinced me completely tonight. Yeah. Uh, I think in the near future, one day there's going to be a statue of you in <laughs> in Washington uh, as one of oh. the heroes oh. of the disclosure movement. As I'm long as here. as
4: long as I'm riding a horse.
1: That's that's <laughs> all
4: I. Have. There we go. Cool.
2: <laughs> all right, we got a jet, right, guys?
4: All right, guys, Yes, sir. All
2: right, Steve, take care. Till the next be. time.
4: Yeah. Bye,
2: Bye-bye. bye. Bye-bye, Okay, that was Steve Bassett, of course, of PRG, and that's the Paradigm Research Group. For everyone tonight, we have to run. We went a little late. I think it was worth it. Chris J. Brown, angel of ufology. I'm Jesse Randolph. Thanks for tuning in tonight to You've Radio. We'll see you next week.